The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's good to be here with you. I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus Christ, and thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Man, amazing Sunday so far, and Kara with another one of those communion homilies that makes you not want to get up and preach, because it could just as easily be the sermon, so wow. Um, so phenomenal. Um, I, I'm, I also heard that there was a, a really great sermon last week on baptism from Ben. Uh, I was out of town, but I did go back and listen to it. And uh, what I love about this series, You Are What You Love, um, is that it's not just about head knowledge. You know, that it is about this, this heart and gut level embodying of, of what we know. And so, therefore, it's, it's actually about discipleship. And so, I think it's really cool that uh, what we got in, in a sermon last week is going to actually be embodied in the life of this church and specifically in the life of Emily Bokesh this morning, who is going to be getting baptized. Uh, yes, give it up for Emily this morning. Very, very exciting. So that'll be happening just down the hallway uh, as soon as Northside gets out of their service. Uh, so probably around 12, 15 or so. Um, if you want to stick around, we would love to, to have you be here for that as Emily takes this most significant step in, in her life of faith. So uh, we're just so grateful for you, Emily, and excited for you to, to follow Christ this morning. And uh, in the meantime... Uh, We're picking up in You Are What You Love, and we're moving from baptism last week to prayer this morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to discussing prayer with you in a couple of different aspects, and actually three different aspects. And so we're going to be talking about prayer as as a Christian practice of worship, specifically about the purpose of prayer, the plurality of prayer, and the person of prayer. The purpose, the plurality, and the person of prayer. And so uh, there are a lot of different passages we could go to for this, um, but I I thought we would just kind of focus in this morning on the simple structure that Jesus lays out for us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Matthew 6. We'll be in verses 7 through 13 this morning. Jesus says this, When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, church, let's say it together. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Let's continue to pray together, church. Lord, we come before you and we just give thanks. We give thanks for your presence this morning. We give thanks for... Uh, This group of people, this body that has come together to worship you, 
Lord, that has come together to shape and train our hearts and desires and to point those toward your kingdom. In song, in baptism, in table, and in prayer. And God, we just pray for illumination this morning. I ask you for the gift of preaching and ask that you would open up our hearts to your message. You would open up our ears to the words of your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I was in the OC library this past week uh, browsing some commentaries, as is kind of my custom when I'm getting ready to preach. And an old classmate of mine uh, showed up and came over to my table and uh, he said, Hi. And he said, What are you preaching on? And I said, Prayer. And he said, Oh, that's easy. I hope, I'm, I hope I'm laying the sarcasm on thick enough, because it was pretty thick. And it was funny, but it was also kind of coincidental, uh, because I had actually been thinking about a, a quote from an American politician from the last century who, who actually said, there are no easy answers, but there are simple answers. There are no easy answers, but there are simple answers. And so I want to say this morning that if you came to the Springs expecting an easy answer regarding prayer, how it works, what it does, the mystery of it all, you might be disappointed. Because there are no easy answers when it comes to prayer. It is and remains a mystery. It's something that the, the greatest minds have, have thought about and prayed about and, and studied for, for thousands and thousands of years. And it remains a mystery to us. How it works. What it does. But my hope this morning is that even if we can't find an easy answer about prayer in theory, that we can perhaps find a simple answer about prayer in practice. And so that's my hope this morning as we begin and as we, as we start back in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. And so the first aspect of prayer that, that I want to talk about this morning is the purpose of prayer. We're picking up again in verse 9. Jesus says this, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Ben and I could probably spend an entire sermon series just taking this prayer line by line each Sunday. It is absolutely jam-packed. But right here, I want to focus on those first three lines where, where we talk about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. If we were in the King James Version this morning, we'd be getting some good old thighs Thy kingdom come, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. And so the first thing that we find out, I think, about the purpose of prayer this morning and in the first half of the Lord's Prayer is that prayer is thy before I. Prayer is thy before its I. The first three lines are all about God. Jesus teaches us here that the practice of prayer begins in God, not in us. Before we could ever reach out, God reaches out to us in grace. 
And so prayer begins with thy, not I. It begins as God calls us graciously into this friendship, this relationship with him. That is where prayer begins. And so we begin by praising God, our Father in heaven, whose name is holy and whose kingdom we want and desire to come on earth as in heaven. And so what we we find out, uh, because it starts in God and prayer involves this relationship, this friendship, this conversation, is that prayer is not transactional, it's relational. Prayer is not transactional, it's relational. I was having a, a conversation with an agnostic, borderline atheist, a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about prayer, and he's very skeptical of it. And most of his questions I noticed in this conversation focused in on what prayer does. How does it work? How does it affect outcomes in the world? And how can it help us? What does it do? And what I tried to remind him of is is this relational aspect of prayer. That prayer is not a transaction with God, that certainly we bring our request before God, that is absolutely a big part of prayer, but that prayer begins in this relationship, and, and it is something that starts with relationship. It's, it's not transactional, it's relational. And so trying to learn about prayer as a transaction uh, would be like trying to learn about a marriage by looking at someone's bank statement. You know, because certainly money is, is an important part of marriage. It can be a difficulty. Finances are a big facet of learning about what it means to be married. But if I want to know about your marriage, I'm not going to ask to see your checkbook. I'm not going to ask to log into your Bank of America online account. I know you wouldn't trust me anyway. No. I'm going to ask you to tell me your story. I'm going to ask you guys to talk to each other and to talk to me about one another. There, there is so much more to a marriage than just transactions, than just who balances the checkbook and who owes whom to what. Marriage is about so much more. There's a complex relationship at play. And so when we inquire after prayer and we try to understand it, you know, we have to remember that it's not a transactional thing. It's a relational thing. You know, this isn't some, some divine spreadsheet looking at God's accounts payable to humanity. That's not the way to learn about prayer. The, the way to learn about prayer is to begin to pray and to begin to engage God in that relationship. It's not transactional. The purpose of prayer is relational. And this is what makes having a relationship with God so difficult at times, right? Because there are a lot of things trying to impede our prayer life, our spiritual life with God. Uh, For instance, I would actually, I would contend this morning that the single greatest threat to your spiritual life, your relationship with God, your prayer life, is sitting in your pocket. That the single greatest threat to your prayer life is that little rectangle. That little rectangle God that sits there because nothing fills more dead space, nothing 
fulfills our need for instant gratification. Nothing sends more dopamine immediately to your brain than that little rectangle God. And I would say further this morning that I actually think prayer is the antithesis to that rectangle. You know, Ben actually talked last week, I heard in his sermon, about kind of the liturgy of phones, you know, this, this swipe, zoom, click, swipe, zoom, click, as these almost kind of liturgical actions. I know he mentioned a commercial where someone is kind of swiping and zooming and clicking their way to a better life. And these are almost worshipful actions that our phones call us to. And not just actions, but I would say this morning that they call us to a worshipful posture, a posture of bowing before our phone, right? We kind of hunch over it. We hunch over our our phones. Remember when we used to, to pray right before bed? Now we pray right here. Swipe, zoom, click. Instant gratification, endless manipulation. You know, we, we utter a prayer to our little rectangle God. We say, oh, Amazon.com, bring me whatever I want of my bidding. <laughs> One click, boom, it's at the door. We say, oh, great and mighty phone, deliver me from my Minecraft enemies. I've never played. I don't even know how it works. <laughs> Boom. Done. We, we utter these prayers. We utter these prayers to the rectangle gods in our pockets. And, you, you know, prayer is the absolute antithesis to that. Because if we're being honest, prayer is not always instantly gratifying. In fact, prayer is occasionally, often even, ungratifying. Of course, there are benefits to prayer, of course, in so many different ways. And of course, I do believe it has an effect on God and the world. But you may not see those results in a day, a week, a month, a year. You may not see the results of any given prayer in your lifetime. Prayer is the antithesis to the way that the phone answers our little prayers. Christian prayer is the antithesis to that. Now, I know phones are great. Phones are are convenient and wonderful, and like all technology, they can be a blessing and they can be a curse. And they can be both of those things all at once. But because of that, I just want to spell out that curse for you one more time this morning. That the single greatest challenge, I believe, to your prayer life is sitting in your pocket. It's the rectangle God, and it calls out to you for prayer. But there's good news. There's good news this morning, and I think it's in our second aspect of prayer. Uh, the, the good news is that you're not alone, because remember, we're talking about prayer, and specifically as a practice of Christian worship, and so I think the second aspect of prayer that we discover this morning is the plurality of prayer. Take a look at the, the second half of the Lord's Prayer, those last three lines. Jesus says this, Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. So prayer is not simply thy before I, but what we also find this morning is that prayer is we before me. Prayer is we before me. So if the first three lines of the prayer, thy, 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 if they're all about God, the second three lines turn and reflect upon humanity and upon our needs. And not just specifically me, myself, and I, but if you'll notice the language eight times in there, Jesus says, our, we, us, our, our. This is the plurality of prayer. Prayer is we before me. That, that it's not simply that we're praying by ourselves, but we're praying for each other. And it's not even simply that we're playing, praying for each other. We are praying with each other. You know, this morning that, that Jim got up and led us in this, this pastoral kind of intercessory prayer, and this was not just Jim kind of going before God alone as a mediator for us. This was Jim giving voice to a collective prayer that we are all praying with him as the one body of Christ in unity and the bond of peace. Prayer reminds us of not only our kinship with God, thy before I, but also our kinship with one another. We before me, brothers and sisters in Christ, as God's children. That's why we begin, our Father. It's always our Father, it's never mine. The plurality of prayer is we before me. And the interesting thing is, is that in prayer, we take all of these different types of people. We take all of us our Rods, our Bretts, our Beverlys, and all of our individual human wills. And in prayer, somehow those wills come before God, this plurality, and it becomes a singularity. That we, that we pray together as a diverse group of people, but we come before God as a single body of Christ together. And how does that work? I think we can find the answer in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think the reason that prayer takes all of our diverse voices and brings them together before God is because prayer is not conforming God's will to ours, but ours to God's. Prayer is not conforming God's will to ours. It's conforming our will to God's. So we learn to love the right things by seeing what God loves. We learn to desire the right things by desiring what God wants. By seeking His will, by seeking His kingdom on earth as in heaven. 
We direct those prayers together towards God and his kingdom. And and truly, no one has ever demonstrated this idea better than Jesus Christ. And this actually brings us to our, our third aspect of prayer this morning, the person of prayer. And we find this in Luke 22, that Jesus is anticipating his impending arrest and trial and crucifixion. And he's agonizing over this with his closest friends in, in, in verse 39. It says, He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet... Not my will, but yours be done. So here we see the human nature and will of Jesus Christ agonizing in the shadow of the cross. And yet, what does the divine Son of God pray? He prays, not my will, but yours be done. He prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And so we find here that Jesus Christ, the God-man, shows us how to desire heaven's kingdom in the hearts of humanity. Jesus Christ is the one who prays. And because of that, God hears our prayers because all of our prayers are summed up in the person of Jesus Christ. It is he who prays for us. In fact, Paul says the very same in Romans chapter 8. He says, likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the risen Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As one theologian put it, it is Jesus Christ who prays, and we join in his intercession. It is he whom God hears, and his prayer is heard since the beginning of the world, from eternity to eternity. Prayer is not conforming God's will to ours. It's conforming our will to God's. It's asking for the will of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come on earth as in heaven. So maybe you're here this morning and you've given up on prayer. Maybe you've lost the will to pray or you feel burned out on it or you don't think it would work or maybe you don't think God would hear it you don't understand how it could help I don't have any easy answers for you this morning but I think the simple answer in practice is that Jesus prays with you Jesus prays with you that that the same Jesus, the same Spirit of God that was with Moses, who was slow of speech and tongue, stands with you as you approach God's throne. And God knows the mind of that Spirit. 
And that spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints for the will of God. Jesus prays with you. So if you don't understand how prayer works, if you've basically given up on it, if you're not sure if it could possibly do anything at all, you've never been more ready for prayer. It's not for people who understand how the world or prayer works. It's for people who don't. If you are, are bewildered by the state of the world, by sin and death and evil, you've never been more ready for prayer. And the simple answer this morning is that Jesus prays with you. Jesus prays with you, and therefore we know that God hears. We know that God hears. Church, let's go to that God in prayer this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, let's stand and sing.